So our passage this evening is from John 11, verse 1 to 44, which can be found on page 177 of the Church Bibles. And we're going to try something a little bit different to normal this evening. We've got quite a long passage ahead of us with lots of different people and characters, and it's all so important. And so I've gathered four very lovely friends here to help us read through the passage. Each will be taking on a slightly different role, and hopefully this will just help us bring it to life a little bit more. So Josh, Dan, Mickey, and Nicola, take it away. John 11. John 11, page uh, 1077 in the Church Bibles. Now a, man, now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village, uh, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped her, his feet with her hair. So his sister sent word to the Lord Jesus, Lord, the one you love uh, is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, The sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed, he, he stayed where he was two more days and then said to his disciples, Let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, Sure while ago the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, they went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, it will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant of natural sleep. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in their loss for their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went up to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord. She replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the same place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, 
Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord. They replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved them? But some of them said, Could not he who opened his, the eyes of the blind, the blind man, have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he's been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. I think that deserves a round of applause, really. It's a long passage. Thank you so much, Dan, Nicola, Josh, and Mickey. My name is Callum. I am part of the church family here at Above Bar. I'm going to be speaking to you briefly from this passage. It'd be great if you have uh, that passage and a Bible open in front of you. Um, this time of looking at the Bible without actually looking at the passage yourself is a bit like going to a feast and not eating. Um, so please do get the passage open if you can in front of you, whether that's in a Bible or on, on your phone. It's on page 1077 in the church Bibles. Well, we've been looking at Jesus in John's Gospel and the theme uh, that was given is Jesus, powerful and personal. And you can really see that in this passage. It's Palm Sunday today, Easter Sunday next Sunday, in case you didn't know. Um, and it's coming to a head in Jesus' ministry. It's starting to come to the cross and the resurrection. And you can see that in Jesus', these different signs he does in John's gospel that show us who he is. John wrote this gospel. He says himself in chapter 20, he says, uh, chapter 20, not 19. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that in believing you might have life in his name. John wrote this whole gospel. He wrote this eyewitness account. He recorded all these things about Jesus so that we, years later, not there in the present day of Jesus, could know and believe. And the word believe is actually said many times in this passage. I don't know if you noticed that. And each of these signs Jesus has done, each of these miracles Jesus has done, each of these things Jesus has said so far have been pointing us to who he is and why he came into the world. God in human flesh. Just last week we saw him saying, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He was pointing to the cross where he dies for our sin, the ways we rebel and turn our backs on God. He was dying on the cross for us. He's a good shepherd. He lays down his life for the sheep. And here we have this incredible statement from Jesus. Surely you couldn't help but notice it. In verse 25, Jesus says, 
I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? See, with Jesus, a cross, death is never the end. There's always a resurrection. Or as we like to say at Easter, it's Friday now, but Sunday's coming. But it's an interesting story, isn't it, this, the death of Lazarus? So let's look at it. Let's, let's dive in. What do we see about Jesus? Who is this Jesus who claims he's the resurrection and the life? And the first thing I want to look at is his plan. His plan. Now, right before in chapter 10, twice it says that after Jesus had said certain things, he was in Jerusalem, they decided they wanted to kill him. But both times they fail. Jesus escapes and he goes a ways off from Jerusalem where things clearly, tempers are running high. But then he gets a message. Verse 1, a man named Lazarus was ill. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Verse 2 is really interesting or it mentions, oh, this is the same Mary who pours perfume on Jesus, which hasn't actually come yet in John's Gospel. It's a chapter later, which just suggests that Christians probably knew this story already. Uh, it was widely known. So the sisters, verse 3, sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is ill. When he heard this, Jesus said, this illness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. This might sound a bit strange to us here in 2022 in Southampton. If it doesn't to you, well, that's great. Let's, let's chat afterwards. Now, the, the next bit, it gets even more astonishing because verses 5 and 6 in the Greek this is originally written in are one sentence. So it says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So he heard, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed where he was two more days. Now we've seen in the Gospels, Jesus has tremendous power. In fact, he doesn't even need to be in the same vicinity as a person who is ill or is dead to heal them. His friends, Mary, Martha, have sent for him. Their brother is dying. It says uh, that it emphasizes that Jesus loved them. There's clearly a, a special friendship they had. So they send for Jesus. They're asking him to come back to Bethany where they live, which is really close to Jerusalem, where they've just been trying to kill him. You see the disciples talking about that a few verses down. And it says, because Jesus loved them so much, he delayed going. Discuss. Surely we think, surely it would be a natural instinct, go, get on your horse, get going, Jesus. But no, he delays. And he says it's for God's glory. He later says um, in verse 14, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. And then he says, once he says Lazarus is dead, he says, let's go now. This can seem really, really difficult to swallow for us. What kind of God allows suffering? What kind of God hears of a problem and says, let's wait, actually. Let's wait and actually, in some ways, make it worse. Let's let him die and then go. 
I don't know about you, but in the last few years, there's been a lot of suffering in my life. I frequently question, God, why do you allow this? And why do you allow so much? But I also fully recognize I'm a very blessed person. There's a lot of people in this world, and maybe even this room, who've suffered far more than me. So it's a huge question. A question probably all of us have to face at some point in our life. Why, God? Why? Now, there's so much to say, and I can't say it all on the question of suffering tonight. But it's an interesting one. Jesus seems to have even higher priorities than immediately he- taking Lazarus away from illness and healing him, from easing Mary and Martha's sadness, even. He has a higher priority. Now, hear me out, because again, with us and our very comfortable Western mindsets and eyes looking at this passage, this can be hard to take. But Jesus seems to be suggesting that there are certain things that are even more important than our comfort. Even more important that might require us sometimes going through some pain. He seems to be suggesting that this life and, the, and all the, the wonderfulness of it isn't all that there is. That maybe actually believing in him and having life in him, a life that is eternal, is even more important than necessarily immediately alleviating pain. Jesus delays going. He purposely delays going so that they can see he is the resurrection and the life so that they can see just how powerful he is, just who he is, the authority he has. And sometimes you could say momentary pain for eternal gain. Now, I'm not saying this to say if you're going through a really difficult time right now and wondering what God is doing to say, well, now smile because it's all fine, you know? No. We're going to look at that in just a bit. But Jesus has a plan. And it's fair to say, logically, if God is God and we are human beings, who has the better angle on the story of our lives? Who has the better perspective on long-term what is best? It's God. And he asks us to trust him. But he doesn't just ask us to trust him from afar. We'll see that as we keep going in the passage. Jesus has a plan. He loves them, so he delays going. Verse 8, we see the disciples saying, Rabbi, a short while ago the Jews there tried to stone you. You sure you want to go back? See, for the disciples as well, it's a no-brainer. Let Lazarus die. It's not worth it. Jesus, you're more important. They tried to kill you multiple times back there. Don't go. But Jesus, no, he's going. Just not quite in the timing we have. And that's an important thing to remember as well. God doesn't always work in the timing we have and we want him to work in, does he? But God delaying does not equal him not loving us. It says he delayed because he loved Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. 
So I don't know if there's something for you where you're wondering, why isn't God acting? Where is he? What is he doing? It doesn't mean he doesn't love you. It doesn't mean he isn't there. It doesn't mean he doesn't have a plan. He is at work. Do you believe this? So they decide Jesus goes. And there's this wonderful moment. Thomas in verse 16 says, well, let us also go so that we may die with him. Little do you know, Thomas, little do you know. But they go. He has a plan. But the second thing is his claim. So Jesus goes. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. Okay, there might be some crossover between some of these Jews who had seen Jesus, maybe even tried to stone Jesus, certainly had witnessed that, who are now in Bethany and seeing these interactions with Jesus. We'll come to that in a bit. Many Jews had come to Mary and Martha to comfort them in the loss of their brother. So Martha goes out to meet Jesus. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Mary and Martha clearly have a level of faith in Jesus. They know what he can do. But maybe not quite expecting what Jesus is planning to do. Jesus says, your brother will rise again. And Martha says, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Many Jews believed that at the end of time, there would be a resurrection where everyone would be raised uh, from the dead. And Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me, will never die. Do you believe this? This is an astonishing claim. I mean, if you rocked up to a funeral and then said something like, I'm the resurrection and the life, how would people treat you? What would people think of you, yeah? Claims that Jesus makes, like I am the resurrection and the life, or I am the light of the world, or I am the bread of life, these are either the claims of an absolute madman or they're true. But the idea that he's just some nice teacher. No, he's just walked into a funeral and said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He's saying there's not just some sort of kind of some sort of something in the future. You're looking at life. You're looking at resurrection power. I'm the resurrection and the life. Do you want to have eternal life? It's through me. This is an astonishing claim. And John is asking us, do you believe this? And Jesus is asking this, verse 26, do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied, I believe that you're the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Then after she says this, she calls uh, Mary to come and see Jesus as well. But this is the claim of Jesus. There is hope. There is life. There is life beyond the grave. It is not just this life and then it's over. 
This is a massive claim. If this is true, this changes everything. It changes everything for how we live now. It changes how we approach death, because I hate to be the spoiler of the party, but death comes for us all. And we don't know when either, do we? It's an unavoidable, unavoidable reality. Some would say the most powerful reality that there is in the world. Jesus has another opinion about that, though. You see his plan. You see his claim. Is it true? Do you believe this? But then, and this is astonishing, we see his emotions as well. Look at this interaction with Mary. Verse 28, when Mary heard this, that Jesus was there, she got up quickly and went to him. Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews had been with Mary in the house comforting her, notice how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going through the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. I mean, isn't that something similar we say to God frequently? If you had shown up, this wouldn't have happened. If you had just acted, this wouldn't have been so bad. It's great to see people in the Bible say the questions and think the questions and the heart cries that we have, isn't it? Mary's being honest. And look how Jesus responds. Does he slap her and say, how dare you question my authority? I have a plan. No. When Jesus saw her weeping, verse 33... And the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Deeply moved in spirit and troubled. What a very English way of translating. In Greek, he's furious. He's angry. This is a, a raw, powerful emotion that's happening here. Not just kind of troubled in spirit. He's furious. But what is he furious at? Is he furious at Mary? No. Notice it's when he sees all the weeping. Now you could say, oh, oh, this is Jesus saying, stop crying. Crying is for sissies. I have a plan. Which, to be honest, is sometimes how Christians kind of approach suffering. We're so uncomfortable with it when somebody else is struggling that we say, um, they're there. It'll be better in future. No, but Jesus, when he sees the effect of sin on the world, when he sees the effect of the rebellion we are a part of, how this world has been marred and maimed and rubbished by sin, by our decisions, by our turning away from God, and the almost curse that it is under, which includes death, he's furious. This is not the way it's supposed to be. This is not the, what we were made for. Our instinct against death and against suffering is right because we're made in the image of God. We were made for something better. So if you feel angry at injustice you see in the world, if you even feel angry about the injustice of the suffering you're going through, Jesus does too. He's furious at the effect of sin and death in the world. But that's not the only emotion we see, is it? 
Where have you laid him, he asked, verse 34. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And the shortest verse in the Bible, verse 35, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. I mean, first and foremost, this means that Jesus is not a stoic. So the kind of idea of stoicism that, you know, you go through all the challenges and hurts and pains of life with a stiff upper lip. Another way of saying it is he's not British. Sorry. Jesus wept. It's okay to cry. The Christian response to the suffering in this world is not to be like, oh, it's all fine, it's fine, it's fine, hold it in. Jesus wept. And he's the creator of the universe. And he's the one who just said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He's the one with the plan. He's the one who's about to raise Lazarus. And Jesus wept. This world is broken. There is a lot of pain and suffering in this world. And it is okay to cry. And it's okay as a man to cry. Jesus wept. I can't tell you how much comfort I take from that verse. It's one of my favorite in the Bible. Jesus wept. We see his emotions. He's not just some distant God. He's not far off. He's not just kind of a puppeteer far off saying, I've got a plan, but I'm not going to tell you what it is. I've got a plan. Toughen up. No, he is a God who entered into this world, into the muck and the mess, even though he didn't have to. And he's furious at the effect of sin on this world. And he weeps. This is our God. This is Jesus. The resurrection and the life. But it does not end there. Notice the questions as well. Verse 36, some say, look how much he loved him, which Jesus did. And some of them said, couldn't he have opened the eye? He, he's the same one who opened the eyes of the blind man a couple chapters back in Jerusalem. Couldn't he have kept this man from dying? That's the question we have too. I just directed a, a Mark drama. Uh, it's a play of the Gospel of Mark um, with Southampton Lighthouse International Church here in the city. And uh, when Jesus is on the cross, the uh, Pharisees, uh, the religious leaders, say some um, taunt Jesus. And one of the, the Pharisees um, in the performance last night said a line a little differently than how normally it's said when, I, when, I, when I'm telling them how to do it. Usually they say something like, Jesus, if God loves you, he's not going to let you die, will he? And she just said, Jesus, if God really loves you, why would he leave you here? If God loves you, why would he leave you here? And it just struck me, well, of course, Jesus stays on the cross. Because that's the way we can be forgiven. That's the way we can know we can be forgiven. That's the way our sin can be dealt with. There is no other way. How can the sin of the world be dealt with, be, be justly dealt with and forgiven? Only through Jesus, fully human, fully God. But it is that question they ha ask even here. Couldn't you have healed him? Couldn't you have kept him from dying? It's a question we all ask. But now we see his power. We've seen his plan. We see his claim. We see his emotions. And finally, we see his power. Verse 38, Jesus, once more deeply moved, emphasis on his emotions, came to the tomb. It was a cave 
with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he's been there four days. He's been there four days. Second time that's mentioned. This is like high noon. This is like a Western showdown. Jesus, the Son of God, the resurrection and the life, has arrived. He's come, and he's come into enemy-occupied territory. Death reigns. Sin is abundant. Not only is Lazarus dead, he's been dead for four days. It's like death, if personified, has bunkered in, has built strong fortifications, and is like, bring it, Jesus. Lazarus is mine. And here comes Jesus, like at the OK Corral for the showdown. It's almost like a little dress rehearsal of what is to come, a far greater defeat of death. And notice Jesus, just four words, take away the stone. Martha, fair enough, has objections about the smell. She doesn't quite get what Jesus is saying. She said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you'll see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe, notice that word again, that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus comes out. Never thought about the fact Lazarus has to die twice in his life. But he has life eternal. Then Jesus says, take the grave clothes off and let him go. Jesus wins. No contest. Just use words. This is our God. Where death thinks it has won, Jesus says, oh no, you haven't. It may be Friday now, but Sunday's coming. There's crucifixion, there's pain in the night, but joy comes in the morning with Jesus. He has power over death. There is hope. Jesus wins. His claim, his plan, his claim, his emotions, and his power. Do you believe this? Do you want this life for yourself? Because it's an offer to you. John wrote this so that you may believe in Jesus and by believing may have life in his name. But it's worth saying, this life he offers to you, it's the most costly thing this world has ever seen. We didn't read these verses, but it goes on to say, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary, verse 45, and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees, the religious leaders in Jerusalem, and told them what Jesus had done it then goes on to say in verse 53, so from that day on, they plotted to take his life. Some of the Jews, they'd been there in Jerusalem. They saw what Jesus did. He's even resurrected a person from the grave. They still want to kill him. How ironic is that? The resurrection and the life. But they couldn't have thought, surely, he can raise himself from the grave when he's dead. Jesus is offering us life, and it's a costly one. It cost his own life as he went to the cross. The resurrection and the life 
going to his death so that we can be set free. This is our God. He is both powerful and personal. See his tears. See his anger. Know he does have a plan. See his power over death. How will you respond to Jesus? Let me pray. Father, thank you so much. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Please help us to see Jesus clearly and to respond to you now. Thank you that you don't tell us, stop crying, but Jesus wept. I pray for all of us. As we go into this Easter season, we would know Jesus, powerful and personal. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.